And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. So Marsha Albert of Dublin Drive of Silver Spring has the honour of introducing something brand new and exclusive here at WWDC. Marsha, the microphone here on the Carol James Show is yours. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time on the air in the United States, here are the Beatles singing, I Want to Hold Your Hand. If 1963 had been a whirlwind year for the Beatles, 1964 would be a hurricane. By February, with singles and album sales through the roof, television and radio appearances ramping up, and their second overseas foray into France a success, the Beatles were preparing for their first raid on the most lucrative market in the world, the United States. One catalyst for this brief trip to the States had been the coincidental visit of American variety show host Ed Sullivan at London Airport, who witnessed firsthand the chaos of early Beatlemania, as it was now being described in the British press, just as the Beatles were arriving home from their concert tour of Sweden. Another factor was the desire for the band to break into the biggest record market in the world, to pave the way to global exposure. Manager Brian Epstein explains. I was almost quite sure that really the Beatles would make it big over there. I was, we were all rather perturbed about it because nothing, we seemed to be issuing the records and nothing much was happening. And I went over, A, to have a look around and see why and try and sense the American market. I also took with me um, one of my own artists, Billy J. Kramer. Um, to do some promotional work, which I thought would be a, a good idea. And both worked quite well, actually. So far as sort of looking around and seeing what was the matter, uh, I think that it was, it was very simple. My, my answer um, to the boys when I came was, I didn't think that we'd yet produced a record which was right for the American market. But I did think, having listened to an awful lot of American pop music and what was currently popular there, that I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was just about to be issued, was the right one. Plus the fact that an awful lot of information had filtered through from the British press, from the Royal Command and the Palladium and the scenes in London and Beatlemania, as it's called, in general. Uh, there was great interest at that stage and it was just the right moment for the issue of I Want to Hold Your Hand. You're going over to the States early in the new year and you're going to top the bill on the Ed Sullivan Coast to Coast show. John, so far, all British pop stars have not made a tremendous impact on the States. How do you think you're going to fare? Well, I can't really say, can I? I mean, is it up to me? No. I mean, I just hope we go all right, you know. Are you going to vary your act at all for the American audience? No, I mean, we haven't really got an act, so we'll just do what we do. The Beatles' latest single, I Want to Hold Your Hand, had been released in America in early January. After three days, it had sold 250,000 copies. By the 10th of January, it had sold a million. And by the 13th of January, it was selling 10,000 copies an hour in New York City alone. On top of this, their previous UK singles, which had not been embraced by the American market, 
were also starting to appear in the U.S. charts. Can you explain why all the records have been released close together, rather than one and then another because, one a couple uh, of months later? The first, the first records were released, and you know, I don't know whether they got played or not. You know, mm -hmm. but you know, the company didn't sort of push them. But when Capital got hold of "I Want to Hold Your Hand," they saw that they were onto a good thing in England. You know, England was going well. They thought, why not? So they gave it a, good, a big push. And as soon as that hit it. Well, obviously, the other record companies that had our records mm -hmm. and that sort of weren't even playing and got them out the vaults and get started pushing them like mad. Well, and that's why they've all come up together, you know. I see. I think you're recording. You have records on about five different labels right now. Is it, this is the reason why, then? Yeah, but from now on, they'll all be on the one label and level out, you know. Uh, what label is that? Capital? Yeah. While touring in France in late January, the band received news that I Want to Hold Your Hand had leapt from number 43 to number one in the cash box chart. As they jetted out of London Airport on the 7th of January for their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show on the 9th, the Beatles still had little idea of what was ahead of them when they landed. No! Sorry! Next question! No, we need money first. <laughs> There's a question here. How many are bald that you have to wear those bits? Two of us. I'm bald. Oh, we're all bald. Don't yeah. tell anyone, please. I'm deaf and dumb, too. It's a gentleman man. We're only a bear. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. This is a man. Go on. All right, quiet. Are you for real? For real. Come and have a feel. That's all right, brother. Listen, I got a question. Do you hope to get a haircut at all? No. No, no. I had one yesterday. That's no lie. Please is them, I think. Well, they must do because they're buying it. Why does it excite you so much? We don't know, really. I'll be here before another group and be managers. <laughs> As the Beatles retreated to their suite at the Plaza Hotel, the enormity of what was happening around them began to sink in. They weren't expecting the reception they had just received as they explained to BBC radio host and friend Brian Matthew. And now, the Beatles in New York. Before we went on the air, I spoke direct to the boys in New York, and here's a recording of our conversation. First down the line was Paul, and I asked him for his impression of the scene on their arrival. It was, it was fantastic, you know, because we, we just didn't believe it. So leaving England, and, and, you know, it was a great send-off from England. We thought, well, you know, they couldn't be as good as that. But when we arrived, they were all just sort of hanging all over the airport. And, yeah, and thousands of pressmen and thousands of New York cops and things. And, I don't know, it's just ridiculous, you know, screaming, belting all over the place. It was marvellous, in fact. Were there, were there any teenagers there, Paul? Yeah. Oh, that's, well, mainly, you know, that, that was the main thing. Mainly thousands of fans and things. Fantastic. Lovely, though. Yeah, and we were just sort of driving along and listening to the DJ show on, on the radio. And it, as we were going along, it was reporting it, you know, and the, the fellow saying, and in, a, in 20 minutes' time, we were going to switch over to the Plaza Hotel, New York. You know, and it's great. Marvellous. And just as we were getting out of the car, he said, and we hear they've arrived now. Fantastic, you know. That's tremendous. Is there anyone you're particularly looking forward to meeting in New York, Paul? Well, we, you know, we, we met the, the Ronettes again tonight. I mean, I've never met the Ronettes before. The others have, though. So we met them tonight. And one of the DJs has said he's thinking, uh, he's hoping that he can fly the miracles in. They're great idols of yours. Great. And the Isley brothers are in town. Fantastic. You know, I can't wait to see them. Well, that's fine. Uh, can I talk to John okay, now, 11. please? Okay. Here's John. Hello, John. 
Hello, Brian. Have you seen any TV yet, John? Yeah. We've just been watching it for the last hour or two because they've got so many programmes, so we're on all the news. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, what, what are your first impressions of arrival in America? Well, I don't know. They're sort of... They're wild. <laughs> they're all wild. They just seem to go... Wilder than they are here in England? Well, it seemed like it. Maybe it's just the first impression here. Yeah, they just seem... All out of their minds. <laughs> uh, John, is there anything you want to say to the fans back here at home first? Yeah, well, tell them not to forget we're only away for ten days. And we'll be back, you know, we're thinking of them. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> now, let's have a word with Ringo, could we? All right. Hello, how are you? Fine. Uh, what was the, the first thing you did when you got to your hotel, Ringo? Um, well, we had this big mass press interview with, oh, about hundred people there, you know. And then um, we got out to dance, and then we, we had a Cadillac each. Marvellous cars. Uh, what sort of things do they want to know at the press reception? Oh, all things. Are we bald, you know, and what do we do with our money? All the usual things. You proved that you uh, don't wear wigs, I hope. Yeah. Uh, what did you do? We took them off. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheerio, Ringo, and the best of luck to you. Cheerio. Give our regards to everyone. Here's George now. Hello, George. Hello. How are you, Brian? Fine, thanks. How are you? Uh, not so bad. Uh, uh, the first thing you'll be doing over there is the Ed Sullivan show, isn't it? Yeah, we rehearse that tomorrow and then uh, do the show on Sunday. But what will you be doing on the show? Uh, I think we'll be doing, you know, I want to hold your hand, she loves you, please, please me. You know, the usual ones. Uh-huh. How many of your records are in the American Hip Parade at the moment? We've got six in the hundred. And uh, we it's... We've got, I want to hold your hand, she loves you, please, please me, from me to you, my Bonnie, which is a laugh, and I saw her standing there. You know, in, in New York, the um, three records, uh, please, please me, she loves you, and I want to hold your hand, are all number one. Well, that's marvellous, and we're all very proud of you. The very best of luck to all of you, yeah. and we're looking forward to seeing you back home again soon. Yeah. Thanks. See you in two weeks' time. The Beatles' itinerary for the next two weeks was jam-packed, to say the least, as the lads explained to Murray the K. Kaufman, the WINS radio disc jockey from New York City, who had championed the Beatles' cause from the outset and became known, as many would in the next decade, as the fifth Beatle. John, tell me a little about yourself and a little about, you know, what you expect to be doing uh, while you're here. Uh, well, a little about myself. Well, I'm full because I've just eaten. <laughs> and I've just good. arrived here. And we hope to just do the Ed Sullivan show, the Carnegie Hall in Washington. I think that's all. And buy some records. Tell us why a lot of people are, have already said to me, boy, they, I bet you they can make a million dollars if they want to stay here. Now, we know you've turned down Madison Square Garden. Can you give us the reason why you are doing so, you know, just holding your performances down to a minimum? I don't know. I think our manager doesn't want to overexpose us, you know, so we can come back. <laughs> well, fine, but you're actually you're going into a place with, which does have prestige, Carnegie Hall, but I think it only holds 1,200 people as opposed to a Madison Square Garden that could hold 18,000. Is there any reason for that? Well, uh, Carnegie Hall was already arranged, you know, and... And then when all the other offers started coming in, well, we would have been overworked. <laughs> well, you were very busy there, too, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, very. And now I guess this is more or less like you're going to take a little vacation, I understand? Well, I think we get a couple of days off, you know, in Miami. 
so we can get some sun, if there is any. Is this the first vacation you've had in how long? This isn't, this a, isn't a vacation. You're joking, my well, I mean, in, in Miami Beach. Oh, well, we've only got two days. two days, and I think that's going down to one day as it is. Well, what are you going to do in Miami Beach? I don't know. Make sandcastles. What did you say? Make sandcastles. Suncastles. Sand, sand, sand castles. Sand. I'm sorry. But you know something? For foreigners, you speak English very well? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's a trick we learned since we were so high. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much. I know you're tired. And uh, all of us here at Winds are... Uh, are you tired? No, not really. I Keep am. going. I am George speaking. <laughs> I'm very tired, you see, because I've been up for days. Forever. Hacking for days. days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. We thank you so much for being on the WINS with us. It's okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Right. Cheerio. Thank you. Cheerio. Oh, yes, why not? <laughs> the first of three Ed Sullivan Show appearances, two of which were filmed in New York and one in Miami, Florida, was to be broadcast live on the evening of the 9th of February. After having rehearsed and pre-recorded their third and final appearance in New York, the Beatles again made their way from the Plaza Hotel to the Ed Sullivan Theatre at CBS Television's Studio 50 in mid-Manhattan. With them for their whole stay in the United States were the Maisels Brothers, American filmmakers who had been given permission by Brian Epstein to document the Beatles' first US trip. Their behind-the-scenes footage would become a documentary like no other, providing a fascinating insight into the inner sanctum of the Beatles on tour. Here we hear the Beatles in their limousine, deciding on how to get through the clamouring fans between their car and the studio door. What have you on? the post? It's on the post. Is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, they got a tremendous crowd there. There's the kids. Oh, we're going to get in? Hey, missing the kids. Hey, we're going to get in then. Oh, hey, the party! Hey, Look, you the Hi, girls. Hi, girls. Hi, girls. Hi, girls. Hi, girls. Hi, girls. The horse is in front. Get the horse, come on! <laughs> oh, yeah, it's okay, he's gonna get the horse behind us. Oh, not look at them all. I don't know. Anybody knew it would come? What's that? The horse meant to kick the front. Is this it? Get in quick. Little did they know that their next appearance would become one of the most important events in the popular history of the 20th century. And now, here he is, Ed Sullivan! Thank you very much. You know, something very nice happened, and the Beatles got a great kick out of it. We just received a wire, they did, from Elvis Presley and Colonel Tom Parker, wishing them a tremendous success in our country. And I think that was very, very nice. Now this, now this, this particular season, we've had many exciting nights on the stage. Now tonight, the whole country 
He's waiting to hear England's Beatles, and you're going to hear them. And they're tremendous ambassadors of goodwill after this commercial. Now, yesterday and today, our theater's been jammed with newspapermen and hundreds of photographers from all over the nation, and these veterans agree with me that the city never has witnessed the excitement stirred by these youngsters from Liverpool who call themselves the Beatles. Now, tonight, you're going to twice be entertained by them. Right now, and again in the second half of our show, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles! That's Close your eyes and I'll kiss you Tomorrow I'll miss you Remember I'll always be And then while I'm away I'll write home every day And I'll send all my loving to you I'll pretend that I'm kissing the lips and hope that my dreams will come true And then while I'm away I'll ride home every day And I'll send all my loving to you All my loving I will
Beatles played two short sets to a television audience of 75 million people that night. One in three Americans tuned in between 8 and 9 p.m. to see television and popular music history made live. An exhausting schedule of interviews, receptions and press conferences in New York City filled the next two days. The next stop was the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. But the Beatles didn't fly first class south for the winter. They insisted on making the trip by train, captured again by the Maisel's camera crew, holding court with their entourage and fellow passengers. I never thought I'd ever meet a good, real, real good singer. Too kind. It's great being here in New York, okay? Oh, is that the place? I don't know, Washington. I'm just moving so fast. Once in Washington, the obligatory round of press conferences and radio interviews began all over again, including with Carol James, who had been the first to play I Want to Hold Your Hand on US radio in late 1963, giving Marsha Albert, the young teenager you heard at the beginning of this episode introducing the song live on air, the chance to meet her idols, who promptly had some fun with her name. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. John Thank Lennon. You. Thank you, Carol. See you, and Ringo Starr. Thank you. How are your drums get off the train safely? I hope so. We've got a man looking after them. <laughs> good, good. And over here is Paul McCartney. You just heard Paul sing Till There Was You in the last half hour. Oh, did we? Good. Yes. Well, you were inside. You didn't yeah. know there were 50 million people. Well, people how do you do? Good okay. to see you, Paul. Good to and see you. And over here is George Harrison, whom I met the other night in New York. Yeah, how do you do? And I had a 30-second interview with him before a man from the network said, here, put that thing away. And uh, remember, and Dizzy Gillespie got my beetle wig, and I still don't have one for tonight. Yeah, oh, excuse me, I almost uh, sat on a beetle there. Let me sit down here next to you for a minute. You, George, are the only uh, beetle who had been in America before this trip, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Went to visit your sister uh, last uh, few months ago. Yeah, September. At that time, did anybody out there know of the Beatles, no. especially? Nobody out here either. In New York, I went into a record shop 
to ask if they'd ever heard of us, and they hadn't. <laughs> you know, that was October. That was October, and then we started hearing things in this country, I guess, first around November, and uh, in December, WWDC flew your record. Oh, I want to yeah. hold you. Yes. Oh, yeah. Thanks, that was great. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, you're very welcome. I'd like you to meet the young lady right after we're finished talking here. Marsha Albert is... Come on in here very quickly, Marsha, and then we have to... Good old Marsha. Come here. Because I know the... Marsha Albert. This is George Harrison. Hello, Paul. There is... Marsha Bog. Now, you know everybody. At 8.31pm on the 11th of February 1964, showered in a hail of jelly beans, as they had once mentioned that jelly babies were their favourite sweets, but the closest thing available in the US were much harder jelly beans, the Beatles stepped onto the stage at the Washington Coliseum for their first ever live concert in the United States. to sing a song now which was a record for us and it was our first hit in England and this is in England way back in England and uh, this song was released in America it didn't do anything but it was released later again and uh, 
Well, it's doing something, you know. So, this, yeah, it is. So, so we'd like to play for you now a song called Please Please Me. Thank you very much. Well, uh, this next song will definitely be the last one. We've, uh, we've already, yeah, yeah. We've already overrun our time. So we'd like to, before we go, we'd like to thank everybody for coming tonight. Thank you. Thank you all. We'd like to do another song, which is quite an old song in America, but it's one that's always been a big favourite of ours. I'm out of town, baby.
Which one are you? Eric. Eric? Eric, here, here is uh, the American public. I'm John. You're John. It's only yeah. a joke. Yes, well, John, here is the American public. 40 million American viewers. It only looks like staring, one man to me. Staring you right in the face. Oh, it's the cameraman. What is your impression of the American public? You've been here for a while now. They are the wildest. Why? Well, I don't know. Tonight was, you know, mild. It's ridiculous. I'd... Well, those 8,000 people all shouting at once and we were trying to shout louder than them with microphones and we still couldn't beat them. The Beatles have played in the round to a capacity crowd of 8,092 people in Washington. And despite having microphone issues and needing to turn their own drum kit around so they could be seen by the crowd on all four sides of the basketball arena, the show was a roaring success. Well, you know, so very nice to be here. Thank you, Ralph Rennick, for that very nice intro. And now this has happened again. Last Sunday on our show in New York, the Beatles played to the greatest TV audience that's ever been assembled in the history of American TV. Now, tonight, here in Miami Beach, Again, the Beatles face a record-busting audience. Thank you, Jim. Ladies and gentlemen, here are four of the nicest youngsters we've ever had on our stage. The Beatles! Bring them on!
tell you fellows, I've told the audience before, that Richard Rodgers, who's one of America's greatest composers, wanted me to congratulate you and tell the four of you that he is one of your most rabid fans. And that oh, goes for oh. me, too. Oh, oh, let's oh, have oh. a fine hand, please. Hello, Brian. Hello, George. How are you? Great, how are you? Uh, fine. Well, from what we've seen in the papers and on television, you've been spending a little bit of time with Cassius Cassius, haven't you? Yeah, we went uh, to have pictures taken with him, you know, training. Yes. Cassius was all pleased because we went to see him and we didn't go to see Sonny Liston. Who's going to win? Uh, I think Sonny Liston would like uh, Cassius to win because he's such a great fellow, you know. Is he? Yeah, he's fabulous. Oh, okay, it's... And I can sing. I'm Chubby Checker's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true or a gag? No, he, he, it's true, I think. He really is Chubby Checker's but cousin? So he said, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Cheerio. Cheerio. How does it feel to have been lifted up by Cassius Clay? Oh, great. He's a big fella. You know, it was just like a feather in his arms. He's so strong. You didn't fancy sparring a couple of rounds with him then? Well, I didn't want to hurt him, you know. No, no, didn't want to spoil him for the big day. Yeah. I see. I'll let him rest a while. The Beatles' 16th of February appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, live from the Deauville Hotel in Miami Beach, where they also met boxing champion Cassius Clay, who'd not yet changed his name to Muhammad Ali, was their last appearance on American soil until a return trip in August 1964 for a more comprehensive concert tour. The Beatles returned briefly to New York City, only to fly straight out of JFK and back to London, where they were once again greeted by a hysterical crowd, pleased to have them back home again. Here come come the Beatles themselves, waving. The crowd are really going frenziedly mad now. Four of them are here. First down the steps is... Paul McCartney, followed by Ringo, after Ringo, John, after John, George. There they are, all four of them, standing on the steps now, all wearing dark overcoats, white shirts, black ties, looking very smart, and almost very American, did I say it? They're waving, the flashbulbs are popping, the cameras are whirling. The Beatles, the beloved Beatles from Merseyside, are back in this country. Hello, Saturday Club. Hello, Paul. Hello, Brian. Oh, you can hear. Fine. Great. Great to hear you back again. Anyway, oh, delighted. Please. Now then, what's what's the scene like out there at the airport? It's ridiculous. Yes? Yeah? Honestly, it's the best ever. What, as, as good as New York? Oh, better. Oh, it's fantastic. And they're all British, you see. And I can hear them screaming from here. Marvellous. Where are they all? I don't know. Hanging off the roofs and everything. And where are you? We're in the, um, I don't know, a little sort of building by the press conference hall. And you and you can you can hear them all screaming, like yeah. us, coming over the phone like that. Yeah. Was there a big send-off from America? Yeah, it was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It was fantastic, actually, in New York and in Miami. Must have been the most exciting trip ever, I should think, was it? Oh, yeah, we, we just been knocked out by it. Yeah? It's, and this is really sort of rounded it off, the reception coming back. Yeah. I didn't expect anything like this. Great. Hello, Brian. Hello, John. How are you? Fine, how are you? I'm deaf with all the noise going on. That's the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's marvellous. I believe they've all been there since yesterday, you know. Yeah, they must be freezing. Yeah. Well, as I said to all the others, um, congratulations on your fabulous trip, and, and great to have you back with us, John. It's a lot. It's great to be back. The fans obviously enjoyed it over there. I, I assume the press enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was marvellous. Yeah, yeah, everything. Every bit of it was an out. Even the, even the work. Yeah, we had joy. <laughs> you know, it was different. Yeah. You know, 
you know, working in different places with the audience all around us. And, you know, it was a novelty. What impressed you most about the place? Um, Do you have time to take anything in properly? Oh, yeah. I don't know. We, I think I, I enjoyed the sun in Miami most of all. Yeah, healthy. Are you the healthy one? No, no, no. But the sun was sort of very healthy. healthy. Yeah, very. Healthy. Did you Did you have a chance to get away from anybody at any time on the trip? Yeah, you can't wait for me twice. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what did you most like about the trip, Ringo? Oh, I just loved all of it, you know, especially yeah. Miami. The yeah. sun, you know. I didn't know what it meant until I went over there. <laughs> did you ever have a chance, John, to? Just get away on your own without yeah. anybody recognizing you. We borrowed a couple of millionaires' houses, you know. <laughs> well, what do you we did. You can afford to buy a couple of millionaires' houses, couldn't you? No, John, yeah, no, yeah. We're sooner borrow them. It's cheaper. What about the the Beatles styles? All these wigs, suits, and things. Are they catching on over there. Yeah, the same. Uh, Fifteen well. million a day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I hear. I hear anyway that the four of you are going to be millionaires by the end of the year. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. that's nice. Have you, have you got time? To, <laughs> have you got time? To, have you got time to actually spend this money? What money? <laughs> you get money as well. Doesn't he give any to you? No, no. no. Was the American trip a su such a success because it was perfectly timed, or what? I think that it helped tremendously. Uh, I didn't, I'm, I couldn't possibly say that I timed that because I knew it would be exactly right, but it, it, it was right as it happens. Going over at that particular moment for those two Ed Sullivan shows could not have been more right. The records were just at the top. They'd been at the top for a couple of weeks and they were still at the top. And it fitted in very well indeed. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we head back into the recording studio as the Beatles begin work on the soundtrack album for their very first movie. Until next time, 